We want to welcome you to Connect Church this morning. My name is Terry Pierce. I have the wonderful privilege of being the lead pastor here uh, for the last 20 years. I uh, really appreciate your prayers. One last thing, I'll be traveling tomorrow to Pearl, Mississippi, and I'll be sharing with the uh, uh, Free Will Church there and revitalization and pouring into them for four hours tomorrow evening and then driving back around midnight. Uh, and so appreciate your prayers as our church is multiplying ourselves into other churches. We're helping other churches become healthy. Uh, healthier and stronger make disciples and so what a privilege your giving and your tithing allows us to pour into others and so we're doing that uh, we're not just talking about it we're actually doing it well uh, we're glad that you guys are here welcome to week four of on earth uh, as it is in heaven how many of you remember that it's been four weeks well where you been uh, anyway and so we're glad that you guys are here today and uh, the last two weeks we have been in this story of talking to you guys about uh, the good Samaritan and as we opened up to you guys in week one, we saw where Jesus would expose the hypocritical lawyer who was trying to impress him, and Jesus walks right through his self-righteousness and simply says, you know what you're supposed to do. The problem is you are not doing it. And my new favorite two parts of this story are found in the fact that as we unpack Luke uh, uh, chapter 10 for you guys, is we saw that this wounded, bleeding man who was beat up, robbed, and left for dead by the side of the road. And what I f we found together in this story, I had never seen it like this level, and I love this, is that you and me are the man that's wounded and bleeding and dying, left for dead. And the truth of the matter is, every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room needed Jesus to come and save us. We had went our own way. We had screwed things up. And if Jesus had not intervened in our life, we would have died. Are you with me this morning? We're the wounded, we're the broken, we're the, we're the ones that have been left for dead. And yet, some of you have even come to this church, and you are totally identifying with that, with that guy, that man on the side of the road, because the truth of the matter is, you too, and we've got a lot of folks that have come to our church out of that situation, when you were the worst, and when you were at your worst, when you were broken, when you were wounded, church people drove by your house, they saw your brokenness, and they were too busy dressing up and going to church on Sunday to have time to reach down into your mess and offer a helping hand and say, hey, while you're drug addicted, while you're an alcoholic, while you're depressed, while you're going through all this stuff in your life, while all of this bad stuff that you made, you know, whatever. And, and you know, we identify. Sometimes, by the way, we're broken and wounded because of our choices, and that happens. But sometimes we're just broken and wounded because of what happened in Genesis 3. We live in a sin-cursed world. I got news for you. We live in a sin-cursed world. Bad stuff is going to happen to you. You can't stop it. You can't 
protect yourself. The government can't keep it from happening to you. Bad stuff is going to come. And the only hope and the only answer is sometimes, and unfortunately, many church people have walked right by us when we needed them the most. But you know what my new favorite part of the story is? And we're going to get there. Hang on. I just ended that intentionally. My second favorite part of this story is who is the Good Samaritan? I don't know how in the world I miss it all these years. The Good Samaritan, the half-breed. Nobody liked a Samaritan in the Bible. They were the folks that lived on the other side of the tracks. Don't you all look at me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't go into their neighborhood after dark. Y'all go ahead. Just just call it like it is. A half-breed. Nobody liked them. The nasty folks that lived in your community. And that's who the Samaritans were. And who is the one that reached down to help the broken and the wounded? It was the half-breed, the Samaritan, the the poor, the, the outcast, whatever. He's the one that reached down and who is that in the story it is none other than Jesus Christ who left glory who came from the other side of the track to reach down into your life and into my life the one that you rejected the one that you rejected the one that I rejected and don't look at me that way you all ran from him just like I did but he's here this morning amen he's in the house today And though we've been stupid and we've been ignorant and we have done everything wrong, he still comes after us and says, let me help you. Amen? Let me help you. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Woo! I'm telling you, if you missed it, go back and listen to it the last couple of weeks. Good stuff. And so all of that leads us into understanding where we're at here this morning. And what we've come to, I'm sorry, I've got to get one last part of this because some of y'all have been sleeping in church. But last week, we looked at the motivation of why we need to be like the Good Samaritan. And it comes down to one answer. Why in the world should you guys have any desire to reach out into your community? Why in the world, we've been asking you for four weeks now, to pick up a little card and to go into your neighborhood, to go to your school, to go to your workplace, and just say, Holy Spirit, if you lead me to talk to my neighbor, I'm going to start praying. I don't even know who lives. It, put the, name, the blue house. I don't know who the people in the blue house are. They got a weird front door. It's got an orange door. It looks like Auburn. And anyway, uh, and so, uh, God, who's in that brown house? Who's in, the, who's in the whatever house in your neighborhood? Who's that guy that you work with? That you, and Holy Spirit, man, I don't even like that lady. She is so grouchy. Man, that kid at school, y'all know him. They go to your classes, and nobody likes him. They don't take a shower, sort of like some of you boys. And, uh, and they, they, you know, the, the kid that, that nobody else would be, but who's that person in your school? Maybe it's the cool jock that thinks he's got everybody, you know, wrapped around his finger and he's the, you know, he's all of that. And that but he really doesn't know Jesus and he doesn't know anybody else. I'm just saying, maybe the Holy Spirit wants to use you. And you're going to hear about that this morning. I already saw examples of use you. And all we're asking you to do is pray and say, God, Who's wounded in my life? Who's broken? That I've been going to church on Sunday all nice dressed up, 
and I've been driving right past their brokenness and their needs at work, at school, in my neighborhood. And if God opens up a door, you're going to go through it. And you're going to invite them to tailgate Sunday. You're going to pray for them. And you're just going to ask them, how could I pray for you? And you're going to develop relationships with coworkers, classmates, and with people in your neighborhood that God opens the door for you to get to know. Why would you do that? <laughs> and this was the message of last Sunday, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Somebody say amen. The reason we do this, guys, is because we were the ones that were broken, and the good Samaritan first loved us. I'm not trying to sell you on a program. I'm not trying to tell you that this is a great idea. What I'm trying to tell you is, is we just go do this because Jesus did this for us. It doesn't get any better than that. There's nothing else I can give you or sell you. We do this because he first loved us. And remember, when the, good Samar- I mean, when the lawyer heard the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus looked at him. And the lawyer humbled, and Jesus said unto him, Who's the one that has showed mercy? And, J- and the lawyer answers, Yes. And he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. And Jesus said unto him, What? You go and do likewise. That's all we're asking you to do, is to follow Jesus. Do what he says. And here's the message that we've been pounding into you guys for three weeks now. And this is where we want you to get to as a church. And and here's the understanding that we have for you guys. What you are determines what you see. And what you see determines what you do. All right, if you guys would have just come to all three services, I wouldn't have had to went through all that. So here we are this morning, and I want to play a little game that we're going to do this morning to introduce today's message is on earth as it is in heaven. We've been talking to you about this sermon series, and so this morning we're going to do a little word association uh, with that. When I say the word Christian, when I say the word Christian, that's a good thing to say, you're in church. When I say the word Christian, what comes to mind? You all understand what a word association is, what pops into your brain. Uh, For some of you, I ain't got nothing in there. Anyway, uh, so I'm just saying uh, when I say the word Christian, <laughs> Tanner's going, yeah. All right, uh, anyway, so what, what, when I say the word Christian, what, what comes into your mind and what do you think about? And, and, you know, if we're honest, there's a lot of things, and I'm going to come back to that word, but let me just, you guys are so slow with this, so let me get you guys in the mood to really associate with this. All right, uh, so we're going to give you some other word associations. What happens if I say this phrase, what's the first thing that comes into mind? that you are a Biden supporter. All right, what's the first thing that comes in here? Watch your language. All right, uh, what uh, comes to mind if I say you're a Trump supporter? Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> I knew, now we're getting y'all. I'll tell you what, I'm going to, you know. Uh, anyway, so we fight over political stuff. I preach on Jesus, heaven, and hell. You don't say anything. I mentioned Trump and Biden, and y'all go nuts. Anyway, uh, so just saying, you guys are terrible. All right, so um, what if I say you're a state fan? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. This is going. What do you say when you're with, you're an Ole Miss fan? <laughs> 
Jesus died on a cross, and you guys get excited about being 2-0. and Wow, okay, <laughs> next week's coming. And, uh, yeah, I know, it's just, yeah, so it's, yeah. Um, I used this in the first service. I can't even bring myself to do it, but, you know, if you're a, a Razorback fan, so just, uh, <laughs> do you Do you ever have something, do you ever, if, do you ever have a phrase that just like you wake up in the middle of the night and it's just like, you know, just, you're just sick of hearing it? Okay, okay, you know, anyway, and so you, you don't have to work here. All right, anyway, so just saying, um, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, lock the door. Anyway, um, we're taking resumes. So anyway, so, so what happens if I say to you, um, you're a NASCAR fan? <laughs> All right, so for the rest of our congregation, you know, they're going, now we're talking now, you know, I don't know anything about that football, but I know it's redneck driving fast, amen, <laughs> so now, now we're getting into your, some of y'all's wheelhouse, uh, what if I say you have a Disney Plus subscription? you might be a millennial parent, okay, all right, uh, and so that's how you babysit your kids, all right, uh, and then one last one, one last one, Word Association, have you ever skipped church and watched it online and decided to just stay in bed and watch Tanner and Terry while you're in bed, and right now you're pulling up the covers, no, Jesus sees you. I'm just saying, and go ahead and pull the covers up because none of the rest of us want to see that. Uh, anyway, and by the way, brush your teeth, and that goes for those of you that are in the house too. All right, anyway, I'm just saying. All right, so here we are this morning, Word Association. Now back to the original statement. What do you associate? If, if I were to ask nine, I mean, if I were to ask ten people on the street, what comes to mind when I say the word Christian? If I were to ask this audience, this fundamental Bible-believing, you know, audience, Baptist church audience, what would you say to the word Christian? What does a Christian mean? And some of you would answer, and it's already your first thought in your mind, well, I prayed a prayer. I joined a church. I got baptized. But one of my favorites that I've heard you all say my folks that just always went to that church, and so therefore I'm a Christian. And we struggle to really come up with that. And then there's a group of you that are here this morning or watching online, and we're glad you're here, and we love you, and we want you to be a part of this church. But your answer to that, your answer to that is blank no, put in your own cuss word. I'm not a Christian. They're all a bunch of homophobic, arrogant people that don't care about themselves they're the only they're so single-minded they believe that 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 they're going to heaven and all the rest of us are going to hell and blank no I would never be a Christian and that's what you think of when you think of the word Christian and I get it when I want to suggest to you today in our text in the word of God is that um Maybe there's a better word to describe us. And I'm not saying we shouldn't call ourselves Christians, and so don't walk out of here going, Brother Terry said we can't ever be Christians. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. Some of you have been doing really good with that. Anyway, uh, but uh, I'm not saying that at all. But you know that in the Bible, 
And I keep hating, and I'm sorry, I know you guys have been in church all your life, and I know it's not fair for me to bring up the Bible. But you know in the Bible, the word Christian is only used, how many times would you say the word Christian? In the Bible, you're thinking, okay, the word Christian is only used three times. Interesting. Do you know that the word disciple is used 281 times, Grant. And the case that I'm making today is that maybe, and a matter of fact, it doesn't, the word Christian doesn't even appear in the Bible until we get to Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And the first time the word Christian is ever used, and it said in the church in Antioch, they were first called Christian. And the reason was is because the word Christian was a derogatory term. It was those people that, it was like the Samaritan term. You mean, you didn't want to be a part of that group. And here's all I'm making the argument for today, is that maybe we can't define this very well, and maybe we've thrown this and made it so not what it meant to be, and if we go back to the definition of a disciple, well, here's, here's what Pastor J.D. Greer says about this, and he makes this argument. I want to suggest to you, that in changing the word that we use to describe ourselves, we lost the clarity the word disciple conveyed about a follower of Jesus. So what is a disciple? I believe it's much clearer and much more definitive about who we are in relationship to Jesus. And today, would you join with me in Matthew 4, and we're going to unpack for you guys where they first were called to be his disciple. Two simple words today is the title of our message today. Do you want to know what it means to be a Christian? What does it mean to really be a Christian? Two simple words that we need to get back to, that we need to understand. This is where we should have been all along. Two simple words is what we're going to unpack for you and I this morning. And we're going to see what those two simple words are. Have you ever wondered about why the first disciples ever followed Jesus in the first place? (laughs) Let me illustrate it to you guys. Um, Some of you are old like me, and you're going to know this guy. These guys are going to literally do not do this while I'm doing it, while I'm talking about it. But later on, go have fun with your parents because they're old. And uh, anyway, and uh, (laughs) look at your dad. Anyway, and so, um, but if you grew up in church, the old school, and it was good. I'm I'm absolutely thankful for it, but um, it was, we grew up with, how many of you remember flannel graph? You remember going to Sunday school with flannel graph? And it was good, nothing wrong with it. It 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 was our technique of the day. The only problem I have today, and I'll say this part, is that if your church is still using flannel graph and you wonder why you don't have any kids in your church because they're walking into your church with an iPhone, then just because you grew up that way is probably not the best way to move forward. I'm just saying. Your kids are not going to be impressed with you. But you remember how we did flannel graph? And so I remember sitting in Susie Sunday School teacher's class back in the day, and it was all good. And she used the best technique that she had in the day, and she would take a boat. Flannel graph, and we had a flannel graph board. Whew. 
you know, blowing your all's tech minds here. And we had a flannel graph board, and she would, Susie's Sunday school teacher would put a boat, and she would put it on the flannel graph board. Now, in our movement, we had a cheaper denomination, and so they didn't make very good quality flannel graph. So when she put it on the board, you ever had this Sunday school teacher? It would fall off. You know, it didn't stick. And so I remember Susie getting frustrated, and she would go, bam, and slap that boat on the board so it would stick there. But anyway, uh, neither here nor there. Uh, and so then she would take Peter and Andrew, and she would take them out of her little case, and she would stick them in the boat. Y'all remember? Isn't that good? Remember that? And so, and so now we've got the disciples and their fishing and, you know, and all of that. And if you had a really expensive flannel graph, you had little fishes, you know, that they put in and all in there. But then here's what I've got a problem with, what we did. Then she took Jesus, flannel graph Jesus, and she stuck him on the board. And Jesus never fell because he could walk on water and he could surely stick to flannel graph. And, but you remember, and this was the problem. Do you remember every picture of flannel graph Jesus that you were taught by Susie's Sunday school teacher? Is what was Jesus wearing? He was wearing a beautiful, glowing white bathrobe from head to toe. Even though he walked in the desert and he didn't wear anything like that whatsoever, but flannel graph Jesus had a long, flowing, white robe, majestic. He didn't walk that way. But my favorite part, you remember the blue sash? Jesus had the white, flowing robe, and we had the blue sash like he had just won the beauty contest. But it gets better because the Jesus in the flannel graph was wearing a white, clean robe, even though he walked in the desert with a beautiful blue sash, you know, attached right here. But then he had the hair, and he looked like Fabio. Uh, you know, it was a long, blowing hair. And some of y'all going, we're Mississippi, who's Fabio? Well, let me, y'all remember Ric Flair? All right, now I'm talking y'all's language. Yeah, I remember that wrestler. You remember that hair? Well, Jesus looked like Ric Flair. Uh, and, and then, uh, so he's got, he's got the long flowing hair and, and all that, and we put him on the flannel graph board. And it was like he, at that point, you know, how we learned it in Sunday school is that Jesus was playing Jedi mind tricks with, you know, the, the guys in the little boat there on the flannel graph board. And Jesus looks at them, and they were like, Yes, Master, we will follow you and the robots. And, and that was sort of the visual we got of Matthew chapter 4. And this very well may have crossed the line. For the first time in preaching history, somehow your pastor got Fabio, Ric Flair, and Yoda all in one sentence. I don't know that that combination has ever been done in all of pastoral history and probably should never be repeated. All right, anyway, and so, uh, but besides that point is that we had this visual of Jesus and how he talked with the disciples. And we had a little fun with that, but the truth of the matter was the disciples had a relationship with Jesus. And I never got that till I went back over the text the last couple of weeks. And I don't know how I missed it. But the disciples were with Jesus, Mark, when he turned the water into wine before this occasion. I'm talking about what happens in Matthew 2 and 3. They saw Jesus heal 
lame children. They were with Jesus as he was preaching in the crowds. They already knew who Jesus was. They had already been a part of what Jesus was doing. And not unlike us, they knew who he was. They had been associated with him, but they were not following him. That's different. He didn't play any Jedi mind tricks. They had already seen him. So in the context of Matthew 4, when Jesus comes to them, the guy that turned the water into wine, they saw it. They were there. The guy that had healed the lame, they were there. Now Jesus says to them, while walking on the bank, and that poor white robe got all dirty, while walking in the Sea of Galilee, he saw the two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said unto them, follow me. Two simple words. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now notice what happens here. These could not have been Baptist fishermen. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. They just simply did what Jesus asked him to do. There's a novel thought. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. Notice discipleship multiplying as we speak. And in the boat, Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And again, they could not have been Baptist fishermen. Immediately, they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. It's just that simple you want a better country you want to know what it's like to have heaven on earth then follow him that's what we're missing that's what we need to get back to it's not complicated we've made christianity so confusing we've made it so convoluted with all of our rituals and all that and christianity discipleship is simply following him every day of your life so from among, for, for three decades, we have no clue what happens with Jesus' life. We don't know how he grew up. It's pure speculation. Three decades, 30 years, we have no history or recorded description of Jesus' life. <clears throat> but what we do know happens in the three years preceding Matthew chapter 4. And just to give you a little taste and reminder, it was an incredible scene. As Jesus goes to the city of Capernaum. We've got a few pictures up here in the region of Galilee. The city of Capernaum is leading, uh, located in, this, in the uh, region of Galilee. Galilee was nothing like Jerusalem. Now, let me say this to you very quickly this morning. It looks like a nice, beautiful place, and it is, and I had the wonderful privilege of several years, about 15 years ago, the church was so gracious and sent Melinda and I to the Holy Land. You know, anytime you want to do that again, it's cool. And anyway, uh, it was awesome, and uh, we needed it, and you guys were awesome, but 
as you go in and you think about the story of Jesus calling his first disciples. Now, if you were going to start a movement, and I know we may not have any rocket scientists in here, but it doesn't take much sense. We've got some guys that run businesses and some ladies that do run businesses and stuff in this room today. And if you're going to be successful, you want to go to the best location. You understand what I'm talking about? You want to go to the best location. You want to get a market you know, share, and you want to be able to promote whatever you're doing. So if you're going to start a movement of Christians who follow the teachings of the Jewish people, you would think that you would go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Jerusalem is where King David reigned in Jerusalem. It's where the temple was built by Solomon in Jerusalem. And if Jesus is going to do this whole movement thing right, who should he pick to run the movement? It'd have to be in Jerusalem. Use the rabbis and the leaders and all of that. But you know, Jesus doesn't think like you and I. Matter of fact, Jesus doesn't even think like we in the church. Did you hear me again? He doesn't do things the way that you and I would do. Let me say that again because Baptists all need to hear this. Jesus doesn't do things the way you and I would do them. He does them better. Just food for thought. So he picks... Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. Now, here's the interesting thing about Capernaum in the Sea of Galilee region. Bible scholars tell us that this nice little quaint place, it sits in a bowl, and around it is this mountainous region. And three, like a triangle of Gentile, idol-worshiping, nasty, crusty people are occupying the hills around Capernaum. So you've got a handful of pocket of Jews living in the city of Capernaum down by the Sea of Galilee, and all around it is, uh, is surrounded by unbelieving Gentiles who are worshiping idols and doing the most pagan things. And if you were Jesus, you would say, do not go to Capernaum to start a movement. The, 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 even the Jews inside the city, what handful there are, they're corrupted. Half of them are, are doing the whole business thing with the idols. I'm telling you, it was not a very good Jewish community. It was not a very safe community. Uh, it just was not the kind of place. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus launches the whole movement of Christianity, he chooses the darkest place that he possibly could, and he goes to the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. That's not how we do it. It's not how, I tell you what, pastor, that's not what we should be doing at that church. You don't go out in that community and those kind of people, how are they going to ever fit into our church and pay the tithes? Well, maybe we need to think more like Jesus. And wonder why they're not coming to our churches. And so Jesus goes in to the darkest city where they're broken and they're wounded. And he takes and says, this is the group that I want to call to be my disciples. And he calls them in the midst of their darkness. Dr. Michael Wilkins makes this point about Jesus beginning his ministry in Capernaum. He says, New Testament scholar, the prophetic message of Jesus led people to believe that God must transform the human person, God must transform human society, 
and God must transform nature itself. Very quickly, in the context of the passage, and then we're going to apply it to your life and mine. Basically, when Jesus began to preach in Capernaum and called the disciples to follow him, two simple words, the message was clear, and it was threefold, and I'm going to start in reverse order. The first part of what the people believed, and this is what Jesus was preaching, is they wanted him to clean up nature. And the truth of the matter is, is that things were deteriorating around them. Can you imagine living in an age where even nature itself around us was coming unglued and falling apart? And what they believed that when Jesus said, I want things to be on earth as it is in heaven, one of the things he's got to do is clean up Clean up the broken nature and the, and, and the things, the environment around them. Number two, they believed that Jesus was going to introduce a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven that would make Capernaum and the cities that Jesus went to a better society. Could you imagine and believe that Jesus could make your town a better town? Do you believe that Jesus could make our community a better community? Do you believe that Jesus is better than a political solution to make our country a better country? They believe that. They believe that Jesus could bring on earth as it is in heaven, even into their earthly kingdom. And then the other thing that Jesus preached, and this was the catalyst to all of it, is the first thing that has to be transformed, not nature, not the community, but the individual heart. And when the individual heart is transformed, was Jesus' message. What was John the Baptist's message? Repent. For what? The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus followed up on that kingdom on earth as it is heaven message with simply follow me. Jesus says the first step to having a better town to raise your kids and your grandkids in. The the first step is that you have to follow me as a husband, as a dad, as as a woman, as a man. You have to follow me, and I make everything else better. Which leads me to where I want to launch at for just a second, or land at for just a second this morning. And I'm going to get in trouble here. And I've hesitated about what I should say, but I've got to lead. This is what God's called me to do. I'm watching. It's what I prayed over you. It's what I've been praying all week for you guys. Folks, your lives are being dominated by fear. And let's just, let's, just, let's just call it. We're sick of this COVID disease. We're frustrated by the political environment. For those of my friends that are in the audience this morning that are on the left, your dream was is that we get somebody mature and adult-like into the White House and this is going to all clean up, and man, I'll tell you what, we're going to get our country back. 
How's that working? For those of you that are my friends that are on the right, I'll tell you what, four years of Trump, 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 we're going to make America great again. How did it work out? Look where we're at today. What I'm trying to say, and I hope I offend all of you, the truth of the matter is, I'm trying to love you and do the best I can. I've got political views. I know where I stand at. But what I'm saying, you're welcome into this house, but you've got to know your president, your president isn't going to solve your problems. You're in a mess. We're in a mess. And what we need to do is quit living in fear. We need to step out by faith and say, Jesus, you've got to solve this problem. You are the one to heal our land. And whether it happens right now or whether it happens through a vaccine or a mask or, or whether it happens through um, uh, our own immunity, that word, and whatever it happens with, I don't even give a rip. I believe you're not going to stop this stuff. Right now there's two, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's two variants that are coming into the country right now, and they say one of them is probably not even going to react to the vaccine. What I'm trying to make a case, I'm not arguing vaccines or masks or any of that other stuff that you guys are getting so worked up about. How about we spend less time fighting over masks and vaccine and spend more time on our knees saying God save us? And we get back to being people of faith and say, you know what? I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live my life, not by fear, but by faith. And you say, well, pastor, you don't understand. I do. I'm doing the funerals. I'm watching is you can't be there with your loved ones when they die. I can't even go. My mom's in the hospital this morning in Illinois with COVID. And she's not in good shape. I'm not preaching to you about stuff I don't live through. But here's the thing. My life's not over because my mom has COVID and she may die. My life's not over and the church does not stop for anybody or for anything. I'm called to continue to fight to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because I want a better country. I want my granddaughter and my grandsons to grow up in a land that honors God, that they have a safe community to live in, they can get a good job, they can afford to live, and they can have the freedom to go to church and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if I hear one more of you gripe and complain that our solutions are going to be found on Facebook or anything else, but your butt won't come to church and you won't help me share the gospel of Jesus Christ, please do all of us a favor and shut up. I told you I'm going to make a match on. <laughs> but I don't give a rip anymore. I'm telling you, I understand the pain and the sorrow, but why are you allowing fear to dictate the joy of our salvation? My mom is in the hospital, and she may not make it, but you cannot take my joy and my family's joy because guess what? If my mom doesn't make it through the day, she knows Jesus Christ. 
we will not be separated, but for a few years. At the rate I'm going, I'm going to join her next year anyway, so I'm good with it. And so I'm just telling you, why are we so crippled? If we know Jesus, this is not the end all. It's better on the other side. I can't wait for my mom and for me and for you to join Jesus. And doggone it, there's not going to be a political vote on Democrats and Republicans. It's just going to be King Jesus. Whoa. Amen. And you Baptists are going to get upset because you won't get a vote on it. <laughs> King Jesus. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. So here's the thing. What do we do? To have on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to give you a story. I'm going to wrap this up. I'll tell you what, let me give you the points, and then I want to share this with you. Chris, just hang on, dude. Here's how you learn to follow Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Guys, they knew about him. The problem was, that never focused on him. These fishermen don't become disciples until they choose to recognize his authority over their daily lives. I want you to write that down. The fishermen don't become disciples until they choose to have his authority in their daily lives. You want to know how to have faith over fear? Then how about you wake up every day Miss Marie, Kevin, Ernie, it's real easy. We, we give the authority to Jesus in our daily lives. We wake up and go, you know what? I don't care what the news media says. And by the way, turn the idiots, turn the, turn the morons off. They're wanting to ruin your life. They make money off of you being afraid. I'm telling you, turn into Jesus. You, can, you know what? It would be a whole lot better if you turned off Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and the whole rest of the great gang. And how about, and I'm not saying this arrogantly, but if you would listen to more preachers, and this is the one time I'm going to say this, if you would listen to more of what Jesus is saying through us, I'm telling you, it's going to be better. Is it not a better message than what you're going to hear today if you watch the news? Focus on Jesus, and what they did is they recognized God's authority in their life. Number two, he didn't choose the best. This is one of my favorite parts. He didn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. We've got a guy in our church. He's one of our deacons, and uh, Mark Bird, and he honestly never says anything of much value. But he said one phrase over and over again over the years that is money. And he got one thing right in his life besides Christy. Anyway, and uh, he, uh, he, says this for, he said this for over 10 years. He said, I love Connect Church. This is why I've got my son, my daughter here in this church because, and they're married now and all that stuff because he says, he says, Connect Church is B-teamers. And he's right. He said, Connect Church is just filled with B-teamers. They never got selected to be the church people. They never got selected because of their money and their power and their prestige in the community. He said, God just loves to take a bunch of B-teamers and then just show this whole community what God can do if we just humble ourselves and say, hey, use us B-teamers to go change and make this a better town. Somebody say amen. Because why? One time in his life, Mark was right. God chooses he chooses, he doesn't choose the best, he chooses the willing. And why does he do that? Because Jesus taught that his power 
and the weakest vessel was infinitely greater than the greatest talent without him. That's awesome. He wants to use you. You guys are the one that makes it different, and he chooses us. Number three, we don't choose him. He chooses us. We don't choose him. Do you know you're going to have doubts and fears that you can do this? But what God is asking you to do, I can't talk to my neighbor. What if they ask me questions? Well, they already know you're probably not the sharpest pencil in the box. So go ahead and admit it. And you just tell them, I don't know. All I know is I would like to take him to pick up. My preacher yelled at me to pick up a tailgate invite card. So I'm coming to invite you at school and at work this week. I got a little church card. It's got all the service times. If you got that question that I don't know the Revelation 15 or Revelation 23, there is no Revelation 23, so that shows you how stupid you are. All right, anyway, and so he said, so if you don't know the answer to that question, my pastor's email's right there, and if you don't believe him, email Tanner, and he'll give you some Arkansas whoopig, you know, stuff. So anyway, take these cards, share them at school, share them at work, share them in your neighborhood this week. Jesus says, follow me. Go and do this. When you're discouraged and don't believe you can, it's about knowing who your father is. As I wrap this up, a little boy was on an airplane. He's flying a commercial flight. And um, the daddy, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the lady sitting next to him, she reaches over and she says, son, you're not paying attention. Uh, this plane is like had terrible um, wind, and, and the plane was just like coming apart, and, and everybody was scared to death and crying. And this lady got so irritated because this teenager was had his earbuds in and was playing a video game on his phone. And she finally just said, and she wanted to, and she almost reached out and snatched the earbuds out of his you know ears, and, and she just said, "Would you stop playing that video game? Can you not get on board with everybody else that we're terrified and we're going to die?" And a teenage boy did something really cool. Is he very calmly took his earbuds out and he grabbed the older lady's hand in his hand. And he said, ma'am, he said, the reason I'm not upset and worried when everybody else is going nuts is because my daddy is the pilot. He's got this. He's got this. You see, you need to wake up every day and I don't care how chaotic everybody else is and everybody else is bailing ship and everything else is going to sink. My God is still on the throne. Our daddy is running the show. He's got this. He's got this. And it is time that you and I follow him. Follow him. Follow him. And here's what it looks like. This becomes our church philosophy when we do this. And this is what we're asking you to do. Make disciples is the primary things we do. It involves every believer. It's not just something we do as a church. It's something that each of you as followers of Jesus do. He has called you. Now go and do it. In in 1965, Robert Coleman wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. It had a big impact on my life. 1965, an old school book. And he simply says in the book this quote, and this is how I want to leave the message with you guys today. And this is what I'm finally figuring out. And he says simply this, when, we, when will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, 
will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something but someone. It's you. It's you. It's you are the army of God. Now follow him where he leads. Will you stand with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege today to go make a difference and to make a better town, to make a better community whether we live in, Father. And if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, God Almighty, I pray that you would call them to come right now, that they would come and just say, Jesus, I want to get saved. I don't even know what a Christian is, but I know I don't have you. Man, I know what it is in my head, but I've never asked you to forgive me of my sins. Would you come today to an old-fashioned altar, let our counselors and our, and our leaders pray over you and lead you to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And today, would you, we invite you to come. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. Just go ahead and come right now. Nobody's looking around, but let me just challenge my church members today. Are you following Christ? Are you following Christ? Look at me, church. Look at me. Would you like Tupelo to be a better place to live? Do you believe that God can save this country? I do. I have hope. And I have faith. It is time that we follow him. And we do and go and make disciples like he's called us to do. If you would like to move from fear to faith, would you come today? and say, I'm signing up to follow Jesus enough of the fear. Would you come? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like to answer, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, That's www.triconnect.church.